Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June the 5th, a Monday, 2023. Uh, over the weekend, we did a show with uh, the gay rights activist, Paul Burston, his new book, a, uh, The Survivor's Story, um, uh, We Can Be Heroes, uh, is a book about toleration and the fight for toleration. Of course, in June 2023, toleration is a very controversial term. Yeah, in June 2023, the month uh, we're supposed to be celebrating pride, all sorts of Boycotts supposedly against woke companies like Target and Bud Light, all sorts of controversies about that. And uh, the Republicans, as they get going, are debating wokeness one way or the other. Some people see them as classically woke themselves in their intolerance. Uh, Nikki Haley criticized Ron DeSantis over the weekend. DeSantis is fighting with Trump about defining woke as a war on the truth. My guest today, though, has a broader vision, I think, of wokeness. It isn't just something that's infecting conservatives, but also the left. Umut uh, Ozkirilmi, uh, and I've done profound injustice to his last name, uh, is a professor of political science at uh, a university in Barcelona. And his story, I think, his personal story is one that um, has fueled uh, the narrative in, ca- uh, in council. Umet is joining us from Barcelona. Umet, uh, welcome. Congratulations on the new book. It's already out in the UK. Uh, and this week, uh, it has a, a global distribution. It's already been quite controversial. How does this connect, Umut? Let's address the big issue first. How is this bound up in the tragic story of your own family and and, and, uh, how this has affected you, not just intellectually, but personally? Well, uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here, uh, Andrew. Uh, And I actually, you know, did some background uh, reading and I see that actually you know we share quite a lot uh, in terms of your views about internet and the digital revolution well in my case um, uh, the book yes is inspired by my personal story even though I didn't want it to be uh, some kind of a memoir or uh, you know because that could have been misconstrued in different ways but one thing that I learned, um, and that's what, how I like to call this process. I mean, when I was being canceled, I know some people object to the existence of this term, but, well, I went through it and I lived it. So it's like a sandstorm. So in many ways, I know that it is real. Um, I was thinking about, you know, the, the fact that the reaction came initially at least, not from the people who I would consider to be in the opposite political camp, but so-called progressives, the left uh, and the liberals, people that I was fighting with over the decades. So I thought there's something that, that doesn't kind of sit well here. And I started to read and learn 
So it was basically a, both a process of soul searching. Like, of course, you know, you think about your, your own experience and where, you know, your own mistakes as well. But also, you know, what, I've, what I was kind of, you know, seeing in the state of the left today and what has been done in the name of the left, actually. Right. So, um, Umar, you're, you're a good political historian. You know better than I do that there's always been intolerance on the, not just on the right, but on the left. Um, what's different about it today? Many people oh. simply don't accept as legitimate views of people that they don't agree with. But that's nothing well, new, is it? I think it's, I mean, you know, it's not entirely new, but uh, there are a couple of new things about it. I mean, one is actually, and, and that was, I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I gave, I deliberately mentioned your work because I think one of the reasons why we have it right now in much in a much more vicious way is because of the impact of social media. Things travel fast. Uh, according to studies that I, I discovered when I was working on the book, uh, false news travels seven times faster than um, the truth. And, and the, the time that it to undo this, even if you're on the right, is much more slower and it's never complete. So that's one aspect. The second aspect of social media is the virtue signaling. I mean, the online outreach mobs come and destroy you and disappear. So this was something that didn't exist in the past. Let's just say before 2010, before the internet age, etc. But the third thing, let's leave the medium aside. I think that's what's different is, uh, yes, there has always been factionalism, uh, differences of opinion, bitter fights within the left. But right now, when you criticize something, you're immediately called uh, either a useful idiot, and that's the most charitable accusation. You're just um, called a, a fascist, a bigot, someone who is in bed with the far right. With but, the but, but Umar, you're, you're talking to me from Barcelona. Orwell wrote a wonderful book, Homage to Catalonia. Oh, yeah, of course. About yeah. this in the 19... 30s it's nothing very different is it no and actually it's it's the same thing that i mean it's it's all that people don't re recall the story of uh, animal farm how, how difficult it was for him to get it published because it was a uh, criticizing stalin uh, and actually that's that's why i finished the book from a quotation from that uh, i mean the gramophone mind uh, right. so um, as i said before we get to the broader intellectual arguments yes. in the book about the way in which, in, in your view, you, at least, uh, the left is, is, has been sucked into this wokeness thing. Tell me your own personal story and how the book evolved out of that. Well, I mean, it's, it's a very simple story. And, and I mean, for the listeners who may not be uh, aware of the details, first of all, it's all in public domain. And if they go to my web, personal website, I published all the documents, court decisions, etc., and, and and my public um, and my website is basically yes. I'm mean, you showing it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. So people can check uh, it out. Themselves. But I, I'm interested in 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 your words almost. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. No. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I'm I'm really angry uh, at the way in which things uh, happened. I had a I had a beautiful son who was born in 1913, uh, diagnosed with a rare form of childhood cancer in 2014. Luca, yeah. Um, uh, he's been diagnosed with neuroblastoma, which uh, is um, a rare type of um, childhood cancer, 
of the nervous system. Uh, and then unfortunately, it's uncurable. Uh, and we've struggled with that for four years, and then we lost him in 2018. In the midst of all of that... And uh, uh, meanwhile, uh, you were teaching at Lund University in Sweden. Yes, I mean, it's it's a big actor. It's a big... Comp- uh, I mean, it's a complicit in a huge campaign, which involves the Turkish state. I'll try to be as, as you know brief as possible. Basically, uh, someone... Uh, that I had a brief relationship, brief, uh, whatever, you know, uh, relationship with from Turkey. Uh, I mean, I met her outside the academia and all. Um, she came to Sweden to be together with me. And then we managed to get, um, we started to work in the same place. Uh, and we we got a and this European is Lund University in Sweden. This is right? the Center for Middle Eastern Studies, Lund University, Sweden. We got a European grant uh, based on, uh, I mean, on a research project based on my idea. Um, soon after um, a breakup, um, she, I received a message from her. All this was in writing, um, threatening me to step down from the project, uh, which was worth 200,000 euros. Otherwise, she would file a complaint of harassment about me to the university. Which I had to, um, I mean, it was, it was not an easy decision because I didn't want to give up my own research project. Uh, but I had to because we were about to take my son for a final trial in Barcelona. Um, so I stepped down. Uh, two weeks later, she still filed a complaint of harassment. It wasn't sexual harassment. It wasn't anything uh, that was that much dodgy. It was about, you know, some unprofessional behavior which spilled over to the work environment kind of stuff. I couldn't even, you know, I didn't follow the investigation, mock investigation by the university because it has nothing to do with the kind of Title IX type of investigations you have in the U.S. Um, And I was just basically warned not to do it again, uh, which was, you know, I didn't care at that point because... This was the time when uh, was the last six months of my son's life. I wasn't even in Sweden when these things were happening. Uh, and actually, completely a cosmic coincidence, you call it, the day that I was told that I'm being warned, we took the decision to take our son home because there was nothing else to be done. So we signed the new, don't resuscitate kind of, you know, papers and stuff. That, that was really the same day. Uh, and one month later, he died. I didn't, I didn't care about it. I didn't, you know, make a big deal out of it. Uh, but I started fighting against it legally in order to at least, you know, What, what I don't understand, Omar, I, I mean, it's obviously, yeah. I mean, it's a tragic story of, of your son. It's an unpleasant story of an academic dispute. There are many of these. What does this have to do with being cancelled or the left? Well, then it came. Um, I mean, I, I found out that in the two years that passed between 2018 and 20, that privately I was being canceled. People were talking about me about uh, as a harasser, as a sexual harasser, even though that wasn't even an accusation. So I went, uh, I mean, I, I just, you know, made a deal with a lawyer in Sweden because, well, I was a Swedish citizen. I was living there. The story was there. And then uh, this person, uh, rather than fighting, you know, or responding legally to our claims, uh, she went on Turkish Twitter, on Turkish Twitter, not in general. Uh, and apparently it was an organized campaign because it, within... Who, who's uh, organizing it? I mean, it, you're a, a liberal critic of the 
uh, Erdogan regime, was this a right wing? Uh, I think it was a combination. Because what happened was, within three hours, I was not named, but I was described in such a way that I was, it was easy to identify me. So within an hour or two, uh, hundreds of, and thousands of people started to tweet about this and name me. So I became... And, and this is, yeah, I mean, you're not, sadly, the first or the last to have an online oh, no, campaign no, no. against you. But again, what but, does this have but, to do with wokeness or the left? Oh, now, the, the, the interesting thing is, I'll, I'll come to that. The interesting thing is, because I had enemies within the Turkish government, Erdogan's government, in 24 hours, the Turkish uh, chief prosecutor opened uh, an investigation about me, even though it's not under their jurisdiction or anything. So, and, and then, you know, these headlines that you showed on, your, on Twitter, like all of a sudden I became not only a serial, whatever, sexual harasser, but a terrorist one. Uh, alleged with alleged links to some, you know, religious organization. Or so something. the standard, so this is all obviously, I mean, for you, it was a catastrophe. For the rest of us, it's kind of worrying. I would have expected the university to support you. Uh, so no. what did the university do? The university basically ignored everything because um, the problem is, and, and that's something that, that needs to be hit the news, but uh, the media in Sweden and Let's just say that everything that I'm telling you here is documented and the legal process has been completed. She, this person's one found guilty on seven counts of defamation first and then finally with the appeals court and everything on four counts of gross defamation, three counts of gross defamation, one of defamation. So everything is this university basically sidelined. They just didn't take any responsibility. One good thing, one only good thing they did was that the dean who was kind of responsible for the whole thing came to court and testified on my behalf, like in saying that there was no uh, incidents of harassment. You know, these are hard things. I mean, I'm no great fan of university bureaucracies, but these are hard things. Universities have no idea of what's going on. You have faculty accusing each other of stuff. Hard to, hard to legally figure out who's in the right and who's in the wrong. I still don't really understand why this triggered this book, cancelled the left way back. From because the people, because the people who were uh, involved in the campaign were doing this in the name of feminism, fighting against domestic abuse and everything. Now, the, as I say in the prologue, uh, when I published my documents and and you know verified my story, a number of feminists in Turkey, none of them that my friends realized that there was something wrong here and they kind of started to expose the lies that was lying behind this story. Immediately after that, these feminists were accused not only of trying to white, you know, to, to exculpate ex, uh, a, a harasser or something, they were also accused, weirdly enough, uh, for being TERFs, transphobic, radical, exclu uh, radical exclusion, um, what's the word? trans-exclusionary radical feminists. So all of a sudden, the two things came together. Now, none of the feminists who were involved, apart from, and with the exception of a couple of them, did know about the term TERF. They had, the story had nothing to do with transgender rights. All of a sudden... Yeah, I, I mean, this is, as I said, Omar, this is a tragedy for you, I understand it, but I, I, and, and, and don't take this in the wrong way. I mean, so what? These things happen all the time. The, the famous words about academics is 
the stakes are so low. I think Churchill said it or somebody. The stakes are so low in academia that people fight like dogs. So what? Uh, it's, it matters. I mean, it's a, a big deal for you, but not for the rest of us. Oh, well, I, I think it is. I think it is not my personal story, but what this, the, the, uh, are, are there many, and, and, and I apologize for jumping in here. I'm not trying to cancel you. Okay. I take <laughs> the fact that your story is very troubling and it, and it sounds worrying in terms of intellectual freedom. Are there many stories like yours? Did you, is uh, the book full of stories like this or is it mostly driven by your own story? No, no, it's, and I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I discovered many stories about this. Actually, I found a book by uh, John Ronson, So You've Been Publicly Shared. Yes, yes. Uh, exactly. It starts with that. Uh, and by the way, it's not only a problem of the left, as I keep repeating in the book, you know, uh, people are canceled for, for their pro-Palestine views. Uh, they're being canceled if they are, like, I mean, it's, it's one of the examples is, of course, the... Uh, Nicole uh, Hannah Jones's 1619 project. She was denied tenure, Cornell West. So people are being cancelled on a regular basis. And I also know stories. Of course, you know, we are very was much... Was she cancelled? Cornell West wasn't really cancelled. Uh, uh, the well, he, 1619 project, it. she still got the job. I mean, cancelled means being shut up and thrown out of your work and not having an, any platform to express yourself. I mean, th those aren't true of people like Cornel West or, or the uh, 1619 not, not, No. And also, you know, that's one of the uh, uh, first um, kind of defense points against uh, cancel culture that, you know, people don't lose their platforms. Many people do. Uh, I was deprived from a, for a platform for two years until I won the legal fight. I couldn't even uh, publish my own and do, I you see this in, uh, do you see your own particular case in political terms? I mean, you, you had to fight the Lund bureaucracy. You had clearly personal enemies for one reason or other in, in Sweden yeah. and in Turkey, both on the left and the right. Uh, it still doesn't strike me. I, I'm guessing that you had lots of defenders also on the left. Friends, uh, colleagues. No. no, not on the left. Not on the left. In fact, that's the weird part of it. I mean, people who, who were coming to my defense were like from all parts of the political spectrum. Um, and, and that's the reason why. I mean, if you, if you talk to someone, you become immediately, uh, you, you, the first accusation that is leveled against you is that you are right wing. Uh, but actually, you know, when you find yourself in such a position, uh, and I mean, you know, it's like, I think, Andrew, you're just... Um, we shouldn't be blinded by the discourses of people like Ron DeSantis or uh, the moral panic also or that they're trying to kindle. I mean, it's not uh, the most important threat to liberal democracy today. Right. Uh, so, are you, But are you presenting in your book a kind of moral equivalency between... I don't. ...the DeSantis of the world and the people who accused you no. at Lund? No, I mean, uh, first of all, I, as I said, I don't talk about my personal story. But I mean, even in the introduction, I start by saying that I don't, uh, I, uh, I reject um, uh, the moral equivalence that I, uh, between the right and the left, because the right is the real cancellor. They have the means to do so as well, economically and politically. Is uh, there a problem, problem, though, with this kind of book, Omar, that... Um, that that the marketers, I mean, your 
the book uh, on your uh, website, I'm quoting it says, what do evangelical Christians, far right Trump supporters and woke left ham in common? Those are the headlines. So whether or not you intended to create this moral equivalency, that's what it sounds like. Well, that's a uh, that's something um, that that was a a long discussion with Polity and me. Um, That's. (laughs) That's kind of a, you know, marketing ploy. And I, I kind of, you know, uh, I, I agreed to it. The book is not on cancel culture, but I think uh, irrespective of the blurb or the endorsers, which actually called left, led some on the left to uh, call a boycott on polity within 24 hours of its publication without even reading it. Just who was doing that? Who, who, who called for a... Uh, I can give you two examples. One was a, a professor at the University of Sydney. The other one was a, herself mentioned in the book, Priyamada Gopal, a Cambridge historian. Uh, they accused, like, but these books in general, I mean, not mine, because, well, they haven't read it, that at that in, engaging viscerally into genocidal politics simply by using the word woke. And I think that's different, uh, Andrew. I, I beg, I beg to differ with you here. I think that's different than the uh, the Marxist infighting that we've seen in the seventies and eighties and all of that. I mean, uh, so what like is the- it, Omar, I, You know, I take your point. What is it about these two academics, for example? What is it about a current intellectual environment that makes serious academics want to? ban people, to actually shut them up, to cancel them? Uh, I think, I think, and that's one of the arguments of the book, and I think that, you know, we're talking about a global kind of tectonic shift to the right. Uh, also, a lot of people that whose work I, I use and respect also talking about the mainstreaming of far right, like the, the way in which uh, center parties are actually, you know, adopting these discourses. I agree with that, but there's one thing that they're missing. The, the extent to which the so-called liberals or progressives are, ex- are uh, affected by the global shift to the right. So I think that what passes as the woke left, you can use whatever word you like, I don't think that is left. That is the good old right-wing uh, illiberalism, fascism, and all of that. So when, they were, when I went, I'm accused of both sidism, I, I kind of don't even make sense of it because there are no both sides. Are I you, uh, yeah, you, you've written a lot of really good books. One, one book that um, did very well, Theories of Nationalism. Are you essentially almost a classical liberal? Is that oh, what no, you're defending? No I, was, no, I mean, I was actually, you know, when I wrote these books, I mean, all, I, I have like, uh, this is my seventh book, but all my books before were either academic books or textbooks. And, and, you know, the book you just show on theories of nationalism, I was accused of being a constructivist, a postmodern, you know, all these kind of Foucault-Gramsci type of yeah. things, actually. I, so I mean, one advice I would give to you, Omid, I do this with my book, is just don't read the reviews and then you don't get bothered. I never read any reviews and then you're not, you don't know what people are saying. It's just not worth the aggravation. Well, I can tell you that uh, to the extent that it was reviewed, because, you know, of course, there is a kind of a silent censorship of the book from liberal and mainstream circles. There hasn't been any single negative review so far, which also amazes me, because, I mean, I, I'm expecting people to criticize. You mean of cancelled or of the theories of, of cancelled? Of cancelled. No, the theories of nationalism was well received. It's a textbook. I mean, I don't make any 
yeah. you know, uh, it's like any provocative statements there. I mean, uh, and, and actually coming to this from an academic background and studying nationalism, like the myth making that has that is happening right now. Uh, on the part of certain uh, okay so I, so I take your point so and, and I apologize I've been interrupting you a couple of times so there's the subtitle of the book is the left way back from woke exactly and I asked you earlier are you a classical liberal you said no so what is the left way would, back from woke? what, what I, I tradition would, I, does the left need to rediscover I I think I would go back to uh I would like I mean I I, I have like suggest a program which is based on three main uh, political kind of principles, uh, redistribution, economic redistribution, more political participation, and yes, which is part of identity politics, cultural recognition. That is uh, a very democratic socialist project, actually. So if you ask what, how would you describe yourself, I would say democratic socialist. Simple as that, that. Democratic socialism doesn't seem to be doing very well these days. The French no, not, no, democratic socialist I... uh, party was crushed in the last elections. You're in Spain. It's not a strong tradition there. Oh, well, Spain is a different question. Well, uh, but, but I think, you know, uh, there are two uh, kind of strands within it. I mean, there's the old classic Marxism, which still is alive in certain circles. And then there's the identitarian democracy. You, you're against... This, what in your view, I guess, is a descent into identity politics and the theory of race and gender yes. and sexuality. Am, that's that's where you think the left has, has made an error. Let's let me interrupt you this time. I'm against the fetishization of identity and the commodification of identity. Identity politics, as it stands today, you just gave an example yourself. You know, like using um, uh, trans people for bad, bad light or using Judith Butler's book for Gucci uh, ads and stuff like that. This is good old neoliberal tricks. Now, if someone like Olifemi Taivo writes about this in his amazing book, Elite Capture, it's okay. When a white uh, middle class, whatever, you know, heterosexual man writes about this, it becomes anti-woke. Why? I mean, I'm saying the, all the good old things. I'm using the Kombahi River Collective and the original identity politics, the black feminist lesbian socials organization in my book as a pillar. Yeah, this is just published today. That yeah. is where I'm, I'm, I'm just... left take back identity politics. Of but course. what does that mean? Does that mean, and, and you talk about the Cambahir vision, because does it mean embracing or separating oneself from identity? No, going back to the roots, because the Kombahi vision was supporting a politics based on identity. Okay, so they were putting the emphasis on politics. So even though they were campaigning on the basis of their identity, they were open to dialogue, solidarity, coalition building, and they were supporting community activism, like going door to door. Today's activism is done, as you've written yourself, uh, on Twitter, click collectivism, language policing, this and that. And, and the fact that you belong to a certain group of people, an identity, can make you completely out of bounds, okay? I mean, that's, that's something that I cannot... Am I white? No, I wasn't a white person in the sense in which it's used in the United States when I lived in Sweden. Uh, and I mean, in this case too, you know, I was, I was accused as not being able to, I mean, in, in the Lund University and the, the kind of, you know, the weird uh, investigation of not adapting to Swedish culture after 10 years and raising a kid. 
uh, in Sweden. So this is the kind of, so it's, these are all relative things. I'm not saying that identity doesn't matter. I'm not saying that identity is not the only thing that matters or it's not the most important thing. That's why I'm actually claiming not a, a, a new type of identity politics. I'm just saying, let's go back to the original vision of Kombahi in 1977. It's all there. You know, just follow Barbara Smith uh, or Loretta Ross, the amazing reproductive rights activists. They are saying the same things. It's, I mean, th this is what kind of gave me the hope. Like you asked me about how I came up, or what, how does it relate to the left? I found this article by Loretta Ross in New York Times 2019 about calling out and calling in. Loretta Ross is someone, for those who don't know him, is a black feminist activist who's been raped several times, gang raped, she was subject to incest, had her son from an incest rape. Uh, but this person all started to work when she was an activist in prison with rapists and led the way to the establishment of Prisoners Against Rape and a very popular program of uh, prison-based uh, programs for rehabilitation of rapists. Yeah, I, I take your point. So, but what I don't understand, um, and I know as you noted i'm no great defender of the internet but what i don't understand is how you can really be cancelled these days i mean you've got a a substack page on cancelled you've got your oh, twitter page oh. you're not gonna you're certainly not gonna get cancelled on twitter with elon musk in charge i mean we now we have the platforms the technologies that you might get quote unquote cancelled by some of your academic colleagues but mostly you can do whatever you like you can even start your own business on substack well, and, uh, I couldn't between, 19, between 2020 and 21 for one year, nothing. Uh, I mean, I kept my Twitter open I mean, because I, I had nothing to hide, but I couldn't. And you know what I lost? I mean, this is, I know you will just kind of, again, establish this. Oh, but that's your personal story. I don't think it's only personal, Andrew. I have to say that there are two things that I lost and I couldn't get back out of this. Two projects about my son. We were supposed to establish a, a foundation in his name. I was writing a memoir and I, we were shooting an international documentary. Both were gone and both didn't come back. Now the money out of these projects were going to be donated for cancer research, okay? I lost them. So who is going, I mean, and, and, and there's the kind of viciousness that I would like you to consider, since you are familiar more than me with the earlier debates, I guess, slight generational difference, that uh, is, um, is, is the kind of, you know, let's, even if you're a harasser, how can someone just tell you, not anonymously, like with an open account, that the sons pay for the sins of their fathers? I mean, I had a son that I lost a year ago, and this is the, the length at which campaigns go. Is this... Yeah, I mean, that's... To, I mean, to you know, it's personal. Yes, I know it's personal. Let, let's okay. add, uh, you, you, uh, you've given me a good subtitle for the interview, uh, Against the Fetishization of Identity. Um, you're, uh, uh, you're an old leftist, so you know that Marx, shall we, so to speak, fetishized the word fetishization. Uh, yes. How important is language here? I mentioned Orwell earlier. Of course, Orwell is the great master of the relationship between language and politics. Do we need to finally, uh, do we need to clean up our language? Do we need to use our words a little bit more carefully if we are to get beyond what you call this fetishization of identity? 
I think we should just uh, acknowledge the importance of language, but put the emphasis more on material reality. Uh, rather than, uh, I mean, in addition to, not at the expense of, in addition to worrying about gender-neutral bathrooms and, and sports, we need to think about what's happening to women in Iran, Afghanistan, and Turkey. Turkey right now is number one country in terms of femicides in uh, OPEC countries. Now, this is also something that we need to think about, not only the pronouns. That's very simple. Language matters, but it's not the most important thing, and it's definitely not you know, the only thing that we should be talking about. So are you saying then that, and, and, and this is where I, I'm not convinced that that the left isn't concerned with the fate of women in Iran or Turkey and only worries about persecuting heretical academics like you? Uh, the noise, no, no, it's, it's not about me. It's, it's, there's a noisy and influential group of people who also have the support of strong lobbies and pharmaceutical companies and, and I don't know, media <laughs> companies and all of that who are behind these things and they are setting the agenda. I think that's the problem here, actually. You know, we are, I mean, the cancel movement and the woke, whatever that you call it, is against power and privilege, which is extremely important. But we don't see that the people who claim to be defending marginalized communities today also have power and privilege. They write in The Guardian, they write in Salon, Vox, Vice, The Slate, New York Times, Washington Post. You know, it's not as simple as that. So, yes, the noisy minority who writes in these platforms and using, you know, etc. I mean, they're not able to fight the right in politics. In the end, the right always wins. They're providing ammunition, an easy ammunition to the far right. So actually what's going on is, is a really typical process of projection in the psychological sense of the word. If you write something critical of the left, from within the left, you're accused of helping the far right. They are the ones who are ridiculing uh, the left, reducing it to simple things and empowering the likes of Ron DeSantis and all. If it goes on like that, I don't know where you stand and how you would define yourself, but I'm telling you, liberalism and the left who is going to lose. The, the, the winter is not coming. It has come. Uh, so, so, you know, 